0: Well, good morning. Good morning. 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 Thank you. Just want to see who's out there. Thank you. Appreciate that. Well, we are in the second part of a mini-series talking about promoting order, order in the church. Our first part last week was talking about the leadership of Christ's people. And this morning we want to look more specifically at the leadership as it relates to elders, deacons, and actually it will also relate to you who are the members of the church as well. My thoughts are more instructional and informational and maybe and hopefully some inspirational But these things are foundational for a church. So please, I would appreciate if you would use the worship folder. It's got the guide if you want to follow along. Also, I hope to be able to put uh, things on the worship uh, screen here so that we can read the scriptures together, look at them together. Some of you may wonder uh, at times, uh, why do I take the effort, the time, and put in the space on a worship folder and put an outline with verses in Scripture. And here's the reason why. Because I'm accountable. I'm accountable to the Lord for what I preach and teach. And so it is important that you know that it must be found in the Scripture. Where does it stand written? So that's why I'm doing this, uh, and I hope that it helps you to understand what God has for each of us, but for this church. I want to talk about servant leadership, servant shepherds, and the place to begin is where we must always begin, is with Jesus. Jesus was the greatest servant shepherd ever, obviously. He gave authority to his disciples to watch over the flock, his church, when he ascended into heaven. And the apostles then were authorized to appoint elders, and deacons to shepherd the churches that they would plant. The title shepherd is another word for pastor. It's just easier to call me Pastor Don than Shepherd Don, but you get the idea. Pastors are to shepherd Christ's flock, and they are accountable to him for their lives and their ministries. We also use the word elder. Elder is a term that is borrowed from Israel's use of tribal leaders, family leaders, who were appointed to be overseers of the tribes of Israel. In the New Testament, we read about elders. And this also is a very instructive word. Uh, the word elders is sometimes uh, the equivalent of a Greek word, presbyteros, which means presbytery. And that means overseers. So we have shepherds who oversee and elders that oversee. And uh, elders were called to be Christ's servants and under shepherds of Christ's flock. So as our church prepares to promote order in its leadership, its organization it will do so by adding more elders establishing officially if you would deacons and deaconesses and also something new for us is church membership. So here are some things that are important that I think are biblical And will help guide us into the future. Servant shepherds are to lead by example. Jesus taught about what it meant to be great. We use that phrase a lot. He's a great guy. He's a great athlete. She's a great person. But what does it mean to be great in the eyes of God? Jesus taught about that. He said, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, your slave. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus did more than teach about servant leadership. He lived his whole life that way. He was born in a manger and was swaddled in a cradle in a manger. The Son of God, God in flesh. I still, when I read that, think about that. It just overwhelms me. Um, From all that I've studied and read, there are only a few things that I can find that Jesus ever owned. He owned a cloak, an undergarment, a pair of sandals, and had no place to lay his head at night. And he was buried in a borrowed tomb. He was a servant. He who was rich became poor. He became poor that we might become rich. And by that I mean spiritually rich. Sons and daughters of the king. He was the glory of God in human flesh. Who stooped in lowly service. To social outcasts, those who had leprosy, the untouchables, those with blind eyes, issues of blood, and bound in grave clothes. He even knelt down to wash men's dirty feet. This is the Son of God. Truly, He came to serve and not be served. He was completely confident in who he was, what his life purpose was, and where he was going. And those who share this mindset are secure in their worth. And when you are secure in your worth, you're willing to do the lowliest task because nothing can diminish who you are. In Christ. That's greatness. When you are so secure in who Christ has called you to be that you can do the dirtiest job without any applause, without any recognition. Now, Jesus did more than just talk about shepherds, (laughs) He was the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, he said. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for you, my sheep. He was the good shepherd. And like a shepherd... Throughout his ministry, he guided his disciples through the land, preaching and healing the multitudes. He fed his flock, fishes and loaves of bread on the meadows of Galilee. He also protected his sheep like a good shepherd. Like when a woman was caught in adultery by hypocritical religious leaders who wanted to stone her. He was there and he protected her. Yes, Jesus is the great servant shepherd. And those who lead the church are called to follow his example. What an awesome call! What a humble call. Leaders are to lead by empowering others and not overpowering them. Not lording it over them, said Jesus. Their leadership, their authority comes from Christ. It comes from Christ and His Word. And they are not to lord it over the flock. But their goal, their ministry is to empower the sheep To do the work of ministry. To love those that Christ loved and ransomed. The leadership are to know well the condition of their flock. And care for each one of them. They are also to lead by serving the good of others and not themselves. Servant leaders don't lead for selfish reason. It's supposed to be for the good of the people, of God's people, entrusted with their lives. And when they make decisions, they are taken into consideration what is best for others. When they make a budget, or established ministries. They do it for the good of the flock. Constantly in their minds must be. What is good for them? What is best for them? And they are always to be praying. And caring for their sheep. Also. They lead by sacrificially giving. Or Living. For the good of others. Don't go into ministry. Don't go into leadership. Don't go become an elder or a deacon. If you're not willing to empower others. To serve for the good of others. And willing to sacrificially live for them. Jesus gave his life, we're told, as a ransom. He died for sinners. And so, servant leaders are to do the same. It's a call that requires self-sacrifice and often comes at great cost. I can attest to that. and their greatness in the eyes of God in the kingdom of God is measured by their practical expressions of sacrificial love without looking for appreciation or applause that is heart that's why when some of you think an elder think a pastor it means so much It means so very much. Your words of encouragement matter, and so do theirs. God's measure of greatness is just so different than anything we know here. In the kingdom of God, the greatest are those who lead by serving. In our culture, we would say the greatest are those who have the most employees. Who have the most people serving them. Not so in the kingdom of God. The greatest are those who lead by serving others. They are those who gain by giving. It seems like, I don't understand that. If you want to gain, what do you do? You give. If you want to live... You die to self. That's just completely opposite of what the world would say. We are exalted by becoming humble. Who are great by becoming servants. These are things that seem almost turned upside down. But we do find examples in life. Occasionally, following 9-11, September 11, 2001, a convoy of trucks rolled down the streets of lower Manhattan. Those trucks were filled with rescue workers coming off of their 12-hour shifts at ground zero. They were construction and electrical workers, policemen, firemen, And emergency medical workers. Their clothes were covered in dust. And their faces were ghostly white. Many onlookers stood on the curbs that day. Applauding these men and women as they passed by. The men in the convoy were not rich and famous of New York. They'd never been in a ticker tape parade or been applauded before for anything rather these were common men and women who gave their lives to save others and the people on the curbs watching these people go by in these trucks they were the rich the professionals And the power brokers of New York. And they were shouting. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. We love you. The true heroes that day. Were those who risked their lives. By serving others. And so too. There are many of you. In the church, who serve behind the scenes without applause or thanks, no ticker tape parades for you, sometimes we'll find you with a broom in your hands, or in a Sunday school class teaching children, or after church locking up, or youth leaders setting up chairs, or women Quilting prayer blankets for the sick. Or you're here early Sunday morning powering up coffee makers. Setting up the nursery. Standing behind a table in the courtyard. Welcoming visitors. Inviting people to join ministries. You're handing out worship folders. Maybe you're here early rehearsing worship. Or you're some who come early on Sunday morning and pray for this service. And I could say that most don't know nor appreciate the leadership that we do have here. They have taken a bum rap. They have met into the late night, agonizing over decisions and praying throughout the week for hurting people in homes and in hospitals. But they and you are examples of greatness. You see, servant shepherds care for Christ's Flock. one of the most touching scriptures that I have discovered and especially in the book of Acts is Paul writing to his dear brothers at Ephesus fellow elders and he's going to leave them and he knows they'll never see him again because he believes he's going to be killed so he says his farewells but here's some of his last words to them pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To do what? To care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Notice we have here a restatement almost like what Jesus said that he he ransomed a people for himself with his blood. And here we have again that same idea. A church, a people, Obtained by the blood of Jesus Christ. Servant shepherds are admonished by the apostle to first pay attention to themselves and then to the flock. This means prioritizing their lives, their personal lives, financial lives, business lives. So that they have a vital prayer life as well as a time to be alone in God's word. They must always be discovering and growing in the knowledge of Christ. It means paying attention to their wife and family. By making them their highest priority under their priority of loyalty to Christ. If this is neglected, eventually their ministries are discredited and disintegrate. It is out of the fullness of their knowledge of Christ, that is not just intellect, but is also personal knowledge of Christ, that the flock is to be cared for. We are all to remember that we have one shepherd, Not many. One shepherd. We may have many under shepherds, but one shepherd. We are all one flock for whom Christ died and shed his blood. Therefore, the scriptures have many admonitions that we are to maintain our unity in Christ And joyfully follow Christ as he works through the leadership of a local church. Leaders also are to feed the flock with God's word. That was important to Jesus. When elders and church leaders don't graze regularly on the word they have nothing fresh to feed the flock. In other words, this is so important, please hear me out. The elders can't expect the people to go any further or deeper in the Christian life than they have done. Christ calls leaders to first go deep in his word and then he will discuss widening their ministry. Go deep And he will be the one to broaden or widen the ministry. God calls leaders to go deep in his word. They must know where to find this green pasture. They must know where to find it in the scriptures. And then guide the flock to these places so they can feed and find rest. The apostle Peter tried to impress Jesus with his love, his love for Jesus. Jesus asked Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And by these, he's talking about the other disciples, more than these things. And he said, oh, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Isn't that obvious? And he said to him three times, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Jesus couldn't have made it any clearer. If leaders really love Jesus, then the best way for them to show it is to faithfully feed Christ's flock from God's word. There are many ministries and responsibilities given to elders and leaders in the church. But nothing should take priority over feeding the flock from God's word. We don't do that. The flock perish. The church has lost its purpose. Elders also need to guard the flock from spiritual predators. Paul was concerned to warn the elders that he was going to say farewell to. He says, I know. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And notice this, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking Twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Wow. Paul was preparing the elders for a spiritual reality. Spiritual warfare. He wanted them to know what it's going to take to lead the church. He knew that where God is at work, there will be spiritual impostors. Who will sort of mosey in. Meander in. To deceive. To try to destroy your trust in Christ. For your belief in the grace of God. And look for ways to enslave people to the law. But that... I think we realize that we live in a world where there are all kinds of... If you would... uh, Wolves seeking to come into a church. But notice what Paul has said here. And also, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. That's the hardest for me. That's the hardest thing for me to understand. But it's a reality. He warned there would be those who would rise up within the congregation to stand against the elders and twist their words to bring about, stir up controversy. These self-appointed harbingers of doom would work endlessly to persuade sway other sheep To join them in their self-righteous crusade. To join them in a mass exodus. All of this is a devious effort to feed their own egos. And to take revenge out. Now this is the thing that's hard for me. To take the revenge out on those, those elders, those people of the church. Who once lived and cared for them. And nothing has changed since the first century. You only have to sit in on some of the conversations I've had. We're back to the first century. Servant shepherds are to promote good. And the emphasis here is on all. For all. These are men, these elders are being men who are to be chosen for their character, not their finances, certainly not their appearance, not for their charisma, but for their character. We go back to what we started with last week is Jethro's words of advice to Moses. They are to be chosen for character. This is what was said to Moses. Moreover, look for able men from all the people that represent all the people. Men who fear God. Who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. And place such men like this over the people as chiefs of thousands of hundreds of fifties and tens. To choose able men. What does he mean by that? Able men means men of strong moral character, diligent resolve. They must be men who have a reverential awe of God. And that means that they have a genuine love and respect. For God's majesty and glory. That's what drives them. There is no place in leadership for glory hogs. Or lone rangers. Their motivation should be to serve the good of the people for God's glory. They must be team members. Who can separate their worth from their ideas. So that they can come together, have joint decisions with other leaders that will be for the best of all the people. Team players don't play in the sandbox, throwing sand in the eyes of others. And then when they don't get their way, they pick up their toys and storm off. They must be men who have proven trustworthy They're not to be a novice, that means to be unexperienced or inexperienced in ministry, but faithful veterans. And it is so helpful if they have had previously served in the church, and I suggest as deacons or other leaders of ministries. They prove their trustworthiness. Leaders must also be men who hate bribe which means not influenced by personal gain. Um, They're not influenced by special interest groups or congregational pressure. In other words, they can't be bought off from doing their duty, for doing what's right. Men of integrity act and talk the same in private as they do in public. They are sincere, nothing to hide and nothing to prove. Now here's the question that needs to be asked of a church and others who are selecting leadership throughout the church. Criteria for evaluating candidates for leadership, here they are. Are they fat? Now I know that some of you are going to immediately go, Pastor Don, do you realize what you're saying here? F A T. Faithful, available, and teachable. If they don't measure up there, they're not ready. If they haven't proved faithful, then they don't put them in leadership until they have proven themselves faithful if they're not available because of time commitments or circumstances in their lives, they should be considered at a later time when their priorities have changed. And if they aren't teachable, then it's best to find those who are. Spiritual maturity, therefore, doesn't always equate with chronological age. Some older men are proven, maybe available, but maybe not teachable. They may not be as flexible and teachable as are some young men who want to learn to be servant leaders. So the selection of leaders in a church should be determined by what? Character. And whether or not they are faithful, available, and teachable. Now Paul gives us even more criteria for elders. Let me say this, that being an elder is not for the faint in heart. And all the elders and their wives said, I thought I'd get an amen here somehow that way. But I must say this, if you are a young man or a an elder gentleman, and you are asked to be an elder or a leader in the church, you are pursuing a noble thing. Paul says that if anyone aspires, desires, to the office of overseer and elder, he desires a noble thing. Hmm. Now here's a very short, List of the character traits that Paul gives us in 1 Timothy. I'm going to go through them very quickly. You can read them on your own later. In this list, he never says always or never. Remember that. This is not another set of Moses' laws put into Paul's letter. What it is, is a measuring stick, a measuring rod of the kind of character that is to characterize their lives. If it said he's never been this way, he's always been this way, well then no one could really serve except Christ. For even the Apostle Paul, before his conversion, was a persecutor Of Christians. And later got into a verbal. Dispute with Barnabas. Over what to do with John Mark. Now. We can always turn to Peter. For illustrations as well. He's a man with a checkered. History. He was a rugged fisherman. He's a man who carried a sword. And he even. Cut off. The ear of a soldier he denied christ three times and once had to be confronted by the apostle paul for favoring jews above gentiles so here we have this these character traits and I'm going to do them very quickly first they must be above reproach that means a man whose reputation is true and pure He's a husband of one wife. A one-woman man with eyes only for his wife. A sober-minded man. A man who contemplates his thoughts and actions before reacting. A man who is self-controlled. A man who doesn't fly off with rage when under pressure, but is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You notice why I said it doesn't say never? (laughs) Or always is that way. Um, He's a man who's respectable. A man who lives with dignity and integrity. He's hospitable. A man who welcomes strangers into his life and shows them kindness. He's able to teach. A man who knows and teaches the scriptures so he can train others As well as identify and correct unsound doctrine. Not given to wine, another word would be not a drunkard. And in our day and age, I think the apostle would have said it's a man not addicted to any substance, no substance abuse. He's not violent, but he's gentle. He's a man without a chip on his shoulder and he's tender-hearted. He's not quarrelsome. He's a man who holds to his convictions without compromise, yet takes no delight in arguing with others. give it another word. He's a peacemaker. He's not a lover of money. He's a man who is not in love with the world or the things of the world. Says he must manage his own household. That's a man whose family life is ordered and it honors Christ. He must not be a recent convert. He should be a man with a proven history of faithful service. He must also be well thought of by outsiders. A man whose reputation is true and pure outside the church, in the community. For there to be order in the church, there must be also different levels of authority. And elders are accountable to God for their conduct and their decisions that affect the church. That means all authority comes down from Christ and his word to them. And in return, they are authorized to appoint and empower others, like deacons, to carry out the diverse responsibilities and ministries under their supervision. I don't know how well you can see this, so I'll pass over it rather quickly. This is a little diagram that I made. What you have in the church is elders, deacons. You have other ministries that they lead and then it's the members of the church. It all flows out. It's not top down. Christ is the head of the church and we're all about serving Christ's community and the world. The elders are responsible for the overseeing the church, feeding the flock. They are to select deacons and deaconesses to be the leaders of the various ministries of the church. You have these various ministries here and then you have the congregation as a whole. We're all here to uh, glorify Christ but also reach out to the community. Elders are to oversee and equip the flock to do the work of ministry. I refer to them as vision Casters who must clearly communicate a compelling, worthwhile, biblical vision so that there is a collective sense of purpose and direction. You need to be a part of a church that can clearly say, this is who we are, this is what we believe, this is how we're organized. This is what you do if you have a problem with leadership. If you have something of a need. This is how you take care of it. That's why there must be order. For the church. They are to be equippers. That means that they are to have an intentional discipleship plan. To make and empower others to do the work of ministry. By urging each member to exercise their God-given spiritual gifts. The elders are to build up the people. To become all that God intended them to be and do. Elders are like coaches who cheer on the team. And let me say this, not just to the elders, but to all of us in any leadership. There's one crying need today throughout the world it's encouragement. Make every effort to find a way to say thanks. The people that serve underneath you, that serve over you, in the workplace, church, and in the family. Every effort should be made to encourage, praise, and reward parents' try it on kids they thrive on being encouraged. Somebody to believe in them. Somebody to say, you're awesome. Sometimes we focus on each other's inadequacies and failures rather than their strengths and their contribution. Quickly, deacons. Deacons are vision keepers. The elders communicate the vision and now the deacons are those who keep the vision. They are under the authority of the elders to lead different ministries. They're hands-on people. The word deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos, which literally means, you're not going to like it, slave, servant. You see, in our day, that would look like you don't have much worth. We don't understand what that was like in the first century. It wasn't a word of disparagement. Rather, in many cases, it was a word of honor. Think of that. It was an honor to serve under a king. Or a person in high places. There were privileges. There were benefits in this. And for deacons, they serve Jesus Christ as his servants. They're not the servants of men. They're the servants of Christ. And there is no higher calling than this. To be a servant of Christ. They are to be both spiritually gifted men and women. Who have met the qualifications that are mentioned in the Bible. And there's only one difference that I've found between the character of an elder and a deacon. And it is that they're not required as it says to teach, to be able to teach, but it does say that they are be known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. These deacons and deaconesses are to be worthy of respect, they are sincere, and they do not pursue dishonest gain. Deacons are to set the example of spiritual maturity and personal ministry. Above all else, they need to have a servant's heart. A servant's heart for the things of Christ. They are vision keepers who keep the church's vision alive. And they implement the vision by leading various ministries under the authority of the elders. In our church, deacons will be appointed by elders to serve for three years. After which they can once again be reaffirmed for an additional three-year term of office and it can be perpetual to keep doing that. Nothing that I know of yet that would restrict you. Now, how about us, the congregation? This is a new dimension for this church. It's a visual church membership. You may not have come from a church that had that. Congregation members are vision affirmers. They are those who serve one another according to their spiritual gifts and they will be given authority to affirm major recommendations and decisions made by the elders when it's brought before the congregation. You have a voice. And the elders of this church want to share that. With you. We will be responsible to approve the appointments of additional elders every year, as well as the annual church budget and any other major decisions deemed necessary by the elders. The members of the church shall serve one another, as I said, according to their spiritual gifts. And you're saying, well, why do you need formal church membership? Good question. Quickly, succinctly. Membership helps identify those who are committed to the local church so they can officially participate in affirming the major decisions of the elders. Do you understand what I mean by that? If you are a member of the church, then you are welcome. You have the authority, you have the responsibility to take part in affirming, up or down, the decisions of this church. Secondly, membership is needed to exercise church discipline if such a matter would ever arise. Three, membership reinforces loyalty and allegiance to one another. Hebrews 13:17 really speaks to us. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Place yourself underneath in the right proper order, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. This speaks volumes. This keeps volumes, speaks volumes. Elders, leadership, you're watching over the souls of those for whom Christ died. People, congregation, we have responsibility to follow the leadership of your church. If you have a problem with it, go to the elder. Go to the elders. Don't get on a Facebook page and go back and forth about who said this. Don't write anonymous letters to all the church. I'm speaking so clearly to you. I think you guys all get it. (laughs) That's not anything like what has been said in the scriptures. Nothing like it. If you leave the church, for whatever reasons, leave. (laughs) Leave gracefully. Don't leave and then try to undercut the church you left. I don't even say this on my own perspective. I'm telling you, this is what I believe the scriptures are saying. I'm just so troubled by some things. And the servant shepherds lead the flock to a place of peace. Amen? Amen? The one thing that is needed, the one thing that is desired in every church is peace. Inner tranquility and relational peace with each other. Without peace, there is no credible testimony to the world. Matter of fact, Jethro was correct when he told Moses, God will direct you And you will be able to endure. And all this, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. Order in the church will prevent burnout. Order in the church will promote and keep the unity and peace of the church. We're setting our eyes on the future. A lot of time has been put in. A lot of prayer has gone up. There are many who believe God is calling them to lead, to move ahead. To lead us as a church into peace. Please pray for the church. As it moves ahead, ask the Lord how you can help, how you can help carry the burden and see God's blessings unfold. I'm going to leave you with these words this morning. Next week, by the way, we're going back to James. I can't wait to get back there. Talking about some of this stuff so upfront with you is really not part of who I am, but it's what I think needs to be done, needs to be said. Joshua is one of the greatest men who ever led Israel. Joshua had a daunting task of taking leadership, following Moses. How would you like that job? (laughs) What miracle have you performed lately, Joshua? And he leads his people, as God did, right up to the Jordan River. You would think if God was going to lead him and take the people across the Jordan River, that God would have said, this is the perfect time to cross the river because it's the summer. And there's just, you could wait across this thing. You could take a million people across this. It's a great time to do it. But what did the Lord do? He waited until it was swollen and impassable, uncrossable. He leads his people to the uncrossable the impossible. And Joshua is standing there going, "Oh brother." The Lord said, "Be strong, be strong and be courageous. For I'll lead you." And here's his words. I think these are some of the most incredible words and it's for us today too. We're about ready to cross the Jordan. And it's been flowing. Consecrate yourselves. Said Joshua. That means set yourself aside. Set yourself aside for the purposes of God. Set yourself aside to be a servant of Christ. Set yourself aside to help shepherd others. Set yourself aside. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Do you have that kind of faith? Do you have that kind of faith? If you do, it will be tested. Amen to that too. We're about ready to cross over. And I want you all to go. Don't listen to the naysayers. Listen to the Spirit of God. And do what you believe is right in his eyes. Please excuse my being so straightforward with you. I feel that sometimes that's my job, it's not one I particularly cherish. But consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, the Lord said, I'll do great wonders. I'll do great wonders among you. Trust me. Will we trust him? Father, thanks for our time together, for your word. Oh, how real it is, practical it is to our lives. We need you desperately. We need the Good Shepherd to guide us, to feed us, to lead us. We know that you do not abandon your flock. You never have, you never will. We are here this morning wanting to follow your direction. I pray for the elders of the church that you will encourage them, give them reason to be encouraged today as we press on. For those who will become the deacons of various ministries, Lord, I pray that you'll prepare their hearts, you'll give them a, such a joy for their ministry that it'll be obvious. As they lead people into various kinds of ministry. Lord, I pray for your flock. This congregation. Lord, thank you for them. These are great people. Who have shown their greatness by their faithfulness. Bless them. Encourage them today. As we move on. Thank you for Christ. Who didn't come to be served, but to serve and to offer his life as a ransom for sinners like us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.